Hello, and welcome to the Laverne Church of Christ podcast, and thank you for joining us. You can find us at 244 Old Nashville Highway, Laverne, Tennessee, 37086. We hope that any time you are in the area, you will stop by and join us for worship. Our Sunday morning worship is at 9 a.m., with Bible classes following. Our Sunday evening worship is at 6 p.m., and we also have a Bible study on Wednesday at 7 p.m. Good morning. Scripture this morning is going to be taken from the book of Matthew, chapter 4, verses 18 through 22. The pew Bible in front of you is the New King James translation. However, I'm going to be reading from the ESV. Verse 18. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Number 876, 876. Good morning, church family. We start a new series today, which is um, a very important series as we continue to develop the theme of this year for him, thinking all together about the fact that we were created by Jesus for Jesus. And every aspect of our lives ought to be brought under his leadership, his control, to be lived out in faith in him. And so as we begin this new series, I just want to ask you for a few minutes to imagine. Just imagine that you are a fisherman. You're a fisherman in ancient Israel, and you are a part of a partnership with a few other family members, and close friends, and you own two large fishing boats, not the greatest boats in the world, but they get the job done, seaworthy as far as the Sea of Galilee goes, and well, you know, you've got mouths to feed, you've got bills to pay, and you have to get up sometimes in the middle of the night, but you certainly have to every single day, except for the Sabbath, of course, every single day, get up, go out prepare your nets, get on the boats, go out, endure the, 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 the struggle of being on the sea in order to cast in those nets and the hope of, of bringing in a catch so that you can eat, so that you can feed the mouths that are dependent upon you, so that you can provide. And you have to live by faith because fishing is not a, not a certain business to be in. You know, it's feast or famine, so to speak. Some days you go out and cast the nets and you have a great bounty and you're able to feed your family and make, make some good money to pay your debts, to pay your taxes. And other days you go out and you toil all night, all day, and you don't catch anything to speak of at all. You trust in the Lord because you know that when, uh, when those paydays are essential, they will always come because God is there for you, because God cares for you. 
As a part of Israel, you've been taught ever since you can remember to be looking for the Messiah. You know that that there is an anointed one. There's the son of David, the rightful king, not only of Israel, but of the whole world. That that he's going to come. And you've you've heard whisperings of, in recent years, that the time uh, has drawn near. That the the prophets, if you interpret the prophets properly, he's got to be coming soon. And, And then just recently... Listening to the the prophet as you regard him, the wild prophet in the wilderness, John, the baptizer, you were there when when he pointed and said, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And he has told you that this Jesus of Nazareth, the carpenter's son, is in fact the long-awaited Messiah. You got to know him a little bit. Spent a few days with him at a wedding in Cana. And there, not just because the prophet John had said so, but because you saw his glory with your own eyes, you have come to believe that he is, in fact, the Christ. And you know he is. You don't know what it means. But there are mouths to feed, bills to pay. So after those few unforgettable days with Jesus, You've gone back at it and have been fishing, but suddenly, after a long night, there he is on the shore. You see him, and you hear him as he says in a loud voice, loud enough for those of your company that are still on the water, and and loud enough for those that have drawn the boat into the shore, mending the nets, he says, he says to you, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And so, net in hand, job to do, mouths to feed, bills to pay, Jesus calling. What will you do? Brothers and sisters, I want you to realize, and I hope you can connect with the text that we're about to read together, and I hope you can realize that that this situation that Peter and Andrew and James and John experienced being called by Jesus into his ministry to, to, to follow him through the process of being trained to be his disciples, I hope that you can see in some way that there's a version of that same call that Jesus is constantly stretching out his hand and lifting up his voice and sharing with each one of us. I I think it's easy for us just to read through these words in Matthew 4, beginning in verse 18, and think, you know, wow, just what an interesting thing it would have been to be called by Jesus into the service of him. And so the passage reads, While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea. For they were fishermen. And he said to them, he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them immediately. They left the boat and their father. And followed him. Discipleship. 
Discipleship is Christianity. And the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch, Acts 11, verse 26. To be a Christian is to be a disciple of Jesus. And and I'm not going to spend much time with the technical details, but we we know that a disciple is a follower, is a student. I, I hope we all understand that. If not, you know now. But there was a tradition of discipleship that was part and parcel with the cultural life of Jews in Second Temple Judaism, that the period of time after the rebuilding of the temple, after the Babylonian captivity, and until the coming of Christ, and in fact continued until the destruction of that temple in A.D. 70. In that period of time, Judaism was led more by the tabernacle than by the temple. I'm sorry, more by the, uh, the word is gone. Somebody help me out. Synagogue, there it is. More by the synagogue than the temple, uh, which was a precursor of the church, by the way. Local groups of Jews and all the cities throughout the empire, throughout the known world and even beyond, would gather together on Sabbath and they would read from the law of God, from the Torah, from the prophets and the writings. They were all looking for the Messiah. And teachers were called rabbis. And the rabbis would get an education in the word of God and they would become proficient in it. And some of them would be located in one place and some of them would travel from place to place as itinerant preachers. And they would preach from the word of God and they would tell the people to prepare for the coming of the Messiah, of their king, of the anointed one. And knowing that they were mortal and to continue this tradition of teaching God's truth, they would draw disciples after themselves, students who would walk with them, live with them, travel with them. They would absorb their teaching. They would learn their knowledge. And not only would they learn the facts and the stuff and the details and, you know, the doctrine and all of those things, but they would learn the way that the teacher lived because the way that the disciple lived was as much a part of the lesson as the doctrine itself was. The rabbi would call these followers Talmudim, plural for Talmud, which means simply disciple, the Greek word mathetes. It is a teacher and student relationship that Jesus has absolutely encapsulated as the central work of the church of Christ. The Great Commission, Matthew 28, beginning in verse 18, Matthew's account. Again, imagine yourself standing on the Mount of Olives to the east of the city of Jerusalem, a a Sabbath day's journey, which means less than two miles from the eastern gate of the city of Jerusalem. Jesus is standing on the mountain. He's given his life on the cross. He's been laid in the tomb. He's been raised from the dead on the first day. He has stayed around and shown himself appeared to more than 500 eyewitnesses of his resurrection at one time. And now it's time for him to ascend to his father's throne where he will reign over the kingdom from heaven. And he gives these parting words. He says in verse 18, All authority in heaven and on earth is given unto me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. A church that is not making disciples is not following the teachings of Jesus. A church that is not making disciples is not following the example 
of Jesus. A church that is not making disciples is not a church made up of disciples and therefore is not being a church. To be the church of our Lord is to be his disciples, his students, his followers, learners from him, imitators of him. And therefore, it's not just a church thing collectively, although it must be that. But the church collectively can only be what the individual members are. And so God, through Christ his son, the rabbi, the rabboni, meaning great teacher, the master teacher, God through his son, our master teacher, is calling us into this lifestyle of discipleship to be students of Jesus. And it is very much at any moment of our lives as if we are there in our boats on the shore of the Sea of Galilee and there Jesus is standing before us at all times and in every moment saying, follow me. Follow me. And at every moment of our lives, we're in that same place that Peter and Andrew, James and John were in, where we have to decide how we will respond, what we will do. Discipleship is not like the modern institutional educational concept, which there's nothing necessarily wrong with. Well, there are some things wrong with it. But that's not the purpose of my sermon today. Discipleship is more like the old school master-apprentice system. Because Jesus is the master, all right? He's the master teacher. He's the one sent from God to reveal all of the truth to us, to straighten us out and point us in the right direction, to teach us the love of God and the meaning of life and everything that, that fills in all of the blanks and all of that. Jesus is the master teacher who teaches us the truth. He is the truth. He is the living embodiment of truth in every way. And so we're just following him. He's the master, we're the apprentices. But as we all go, as we all obey the Great Commission, and as each one of us, as baptized believers, as disciples, as we follow Jesus, well, we gain greater degrees of mastery, greater degrees of mastery over sin. We gain greater degrees of mastery over the Word. We we learn it more and more and more and become wiser and have greater and deeper understanding. And, and we experience the adventure of following Jesus and, and of telling the truth and all of the things that come from, from practicing the Christian life. And I promise you, if you're out there trying to represent Jesus as a disciple-making disciple, life is going to have some adventurous moments. You're going to find yourself in some interesting situations that are going to shape you for the better, even if they may be challenging to endure at the moment. We become ourselves in imitation of the master. Masters in our own right in some ways. No, none of us ever master sin like Jesus mastered sin. None of us ever fully master the word of God as Jesus is, in fact, the master of the word of God. No, no doubt about that. None of us are perfectly what Jesus is. But as we grow in our depth, we're able to, to draw other disciples along with us in the service of Jesus. And so as Jesus has given us the example of, of teaching, of, of modeling, of, of loving, of, of bringing folks along with him to live life alongside of him, and they grow up into him, so we simply try to imitate Jesus. And we never draw disciples away after ourselves. That's the path of apostasy. We say, I'm a disciple of Jesus. I've gone a little bit down the road, and I understand it a little bit, and I can help. 
And I would like to take you by the hand, so to speak, and draw you along with me. As I live this process of serving Jesus, hopefully you can learn from some of the mistakes that I've made. Hopefully I can share you some of the wisdom that God has given me. Hopefully it'll make your walk easier and enable you to grow faster. And the hope of every disciple maker, period, whether the extent of your discipleship is training up your children, or whether you are going out into the fields of the Lord with a desire to reap a harvest for Him, however it is that you fulfill the discipleship relationship in your life. Your hope is that those that you teach, lead, serve, will be able to eclipse you. That one day they'll be stronger than you, wiser than you, will have greater knowledge than you, greater endurance than you, that they'll be able to serve your Father more fruitfully than you've been able to do. Even Jesus said to his disciples during his earthly ministry that they would do greater works than he did. It was his desire. That is the desire of every disciple maker. I hope that this church, if the Lord's return is delayed, I hope that this church and the generation that follows my death and your deaths will reach greater heights of service to the Lord than we could ever imagine. And I have no pride with regard to that that needs to be in any way facilitated. I hope we can all empty ourselves of that and see ourselves simply as the servants of the Lord here for a limited amount of time to serve Him the best we can, to learn from Him and teach Him the best we can. We need to understand that discipleship training is comprehensive in scope. It's not just learning info, it's learning how to live. Listen, brothers and sisters, when you come to Jesus, there is nothing about you that doesn't need to change. Stop and sit in that for a moment. When you come to him, there's nothing about you that doesn't need to change. Because you're not him. You're not what you ought to be. You've not filled up the measure of sonship to God or daughterhood of God. You haven't accomplished that. And every aspect of your way of being has in some way been affected by the fallenness of this sinful world. And so you can assume that nothing is what it ought to be. And so you present everything to Jesus that it might be transformed by him. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, we take every thought, every thought captive to obey Christ. Every thought. And until every single thought that goes through our skulls is 100% loyal to Jesus, we still need that transformation with everything that we are. That's what it means to learn how to live. It's Jesus. He is the meaning of life. And so the master teacher calls for comprehensive obedience. Comprehensive obedience. Listen, I want to say something as an aside here. One of the, one of the qualities of postmodernity, which is the sociological mindset of Western civilization around us right now. And, and post-modernity gets a bad rap sometimes among uh, Bible-believing people, and, and rightly so in some senses, because uh, there, there are some serious problems with post-modernity. But post-modernity does have some criticisms to offer its predecessor modernity that are worthy criticisms. 
And so let's, let's be balanced. Let's not be reactionary people. But one of the faults of postmodernity is something the Bible would call evil suspicion. Postmodernity casts suspicion on anyone in a position of leadership. And so being a preacher of the gospel who stands in front of people and teaches people what they ought to believe and how they ought to live life, and let me make it clear, I am teaching you what you ought to think. And I'm teaching you what you ought to believe. And I'm teaching you how you ought to live. And I'm trying to do that according to the word of God and trying to get myself out of its way. That's what I'm trying to do. So there's some authority taking place here. And our elders leading this church and their, and their role as shepherds here are practicing, they're exercising authority. Postmodernity suspects anyone in institutional leadership of just playing the power game. It's all about a power grab. It's all about gaining control over other people's lives. It's all about gaining control over their money. And I'm going to tell you it's blasphemy and it is absolutely not true. When I say that, I'm sad to say that there have been public cases, and you know about it, of folks in leadership in churches who have been exposed as the crooks that they are, who are in fact trying just to control people and control their money. God forbid that it should ever be the case here and in this church. I can tell you, God is my witness. It is not the case here. Far from it. But brothers and sisters, Jesus is making a power claim in your life. Jesus is making a power claim in your life. Jesus is making a claim of ownership over your money. Jesus is making a claim over everything that you are and everything that you have. It belongs to him. And so any preaching of the truth of the word of God is going to tell you in no uncertain terms that you owe him your very self. You owe him yourself. So of course he wants your money. It's already his. He's just letting you use it for a little while. I don't want your money. Our elders don't want your money. Our elders will preside over a budget every year to see to it that the money that you give to Jesus will be spent in service of Jesus. And one of the great qualities of our leadership team here that I love so much is its transparency. The budget is routinely presented, completely open to the congregation. If you haven't attended one of our family meetings on the Sunday nights that happen four times a year, our elders will stand in front of everybody here and say, what are your questions? And it's all open. It's all on the table. And that's the way that things should be. It needs to be done that way so that people can have a sense of trust, that we really are doing what we're supposed to be trying to do. But I want you to understand, brothers and sisters, that there is absolutely a power claim that Jesus is making. When he said all authority in heaven and on earth is given unto me, he meant what he said. And if you want to live, you need to obey him. And that, obey, that obedience needs to be comprehensive. We read in the book of Matthew chapter 5. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them saying. And of course, that's the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And the very last lines of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, verses 28 and 29, we read, and so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority. 
and not as the scribes. And so, brothers and sisters, we're called to follow Jesus' teaching, the verbal teaching that is now the written word of God. We're, followed, we're called to, to follow it to the letter. We're, we're called to follow it in the spirit. In every way, we are to sublimate ourselves to the teachings of Christ. We're to receive them, to believe them, and to put them into practice. That's what disciples do. But it's not just that. We're also called to obey the teacher's way of life. Way of life. Matthew chapter 10, we read beginning in verse 24, Jesus says, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple to be like his teacher and a servant to be like his master. And so on the passage goes. If in the old world you were an apprentice to a blacksmith, you would not simply want to learn how iron is shaped and what the fire has to do with that and how to operate the bellows and swing a hammer. All of those would be the doctrines, so to speak, of being a blacksmith. But you're going to want to understand the, the mindset, the intuition the, the way of living that enables him to get up every day and do that job and to continue it and to maintain it. And so with Jesus, we want to hear the facts, the truths. And we also want to look at the man himself. We want to see how he thought. We want to pay attention to how he spoke. We want to see how he interacted with people, how he lived life. We want to try to interpret that, to apply it to ourselves so that we can live life walking in his footsteps. Chapter 16 of Matthew, verse 24. And Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Brothers and sisters, we are to follow his absolute every direction. Matthew 21 and verse 6. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. That's what it means to be a disciple. <coughs> Excuse me. It means that we practice a comprehensive obedience. We believe and practice what Jesus says. We do what Jesus does as much as is humanly possible. And again, in our culture today, I think this last line you see on the screen is something that a lot of folks have, have a sense of suspicion about. They have a mistrust of. You, you accept Jesus as your master. You accept him as your master. Jesus is my master. Have you ever said that to yourself? I'm sure many of you have. If you've never said that to yourself, I want to ask you right now if you believe. If you don't believe, then I do beg you to hang around. I'll try to convince you to believe week after week after week. You need to. It's your only hope. Jesus said in John 8, verse 24, unless you believe that I am he, you'll die in your sins. So if you're here and you believe, and you've never said to yourself, Jesus is my master, I want you to say it right now. I don't care if you say it out loud or in your head, but say it right now. Jesus is my master. He's mine. He's mine. And that's the way it's going to be until he comes again or till I die and go to him. Whichever comes first, Jesus is my master. I'm grateful for his grace because it is my commitment to obey him both verbally and by his example 
perfectly. And I ain't got there yet, brothers and sisters, but I'm pressing on and I'm moving upward. And I hope you're going along with me as we do. Jesus is Lord. And there's a reason. It's not just because of fear. It's not tyrannical. We follow Jesus because of trusting love. John 6, beginning in verse 66 and through verse 69. Later in Jesus' ministry from what we read earlier, the Bible says, After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. I also have believed and come to know that Jesus is the Holy One of God. You may find days, months, years in which your faith is weak. You may find that the trials of life beat you down a little bit. It may be difficult in some periods for you to obey Jesus the way that you should, to give him your all the way that you should. But you should never forget that there is nowhere else to go. Who has what Jesus has? Would, would you just think about that for a moment? Who else has what Jesus has? Who else knows what Jesus knows? Who else can give what Jesus can give? What teacher has ever matched Jesus? There is none. There's nobody. It's Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God. He died. He was buried. And he rose from the dead. No one else has done that. No one else can. Certainly he's the only one that can raise you to a resurrection of eternal life. So if Jesus asks you to trust him, why would you not? Why would you not? I beg you to trust him. You see, the first step of discipleship is obedience. If you love him, you will keep his commandments. John 14 and verse 15. Do you love Jesus? If you love him, believe him. If you believe him, do what he says. Some practical steps. The first practical steps to obeying Jesus with your all, embracing him as master, is to listen. If you've read the Gospels and you're familiar with the Gospels, you know how many times Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. In other words, he's saying, listen, if you want to, listen. Whoever's willing, listen. Brothers and sisters, we've got to open up our ears to listen to Jesus. And it's not just coming to church and hearing the word preached while you're thinking about lunch or thinking about the, whatever you need to clean up at home or what you got to do at work this week or, or the family that's coming to see you or any other responsibility. And there's nothing wrong with any of those things in life, but just sitting in church does not equate listening to Jesus. Do you understand that? 
You actually have to open up your, the ears of your mind. You have to make a decision to open up your heart and say, I'm actually going to think about what is being said. And I'm going to let it sink in so that it actually engages me. Maybe it shames me. Hopefully, it will encourage you and lift you up. But you've got to listen. You've got to trust your teacher, especially when it's scary. You remember the account of Jesus walking on the water? And Peter says, if it's you, Lord, let me come out and walk on the water. And Jesus says, come on. <laughs> what does Peter do? He gets out of the boat in that terrifying circumstance, and he literally begins to walk on the water. But then seeing the wind and the waves, he got scared. Jesus didn't let him drown. He caught him by the hand. But you remember his words, oh, you of little faith. Why did you doubt? You hear that from Jesus? Can we let that sink into? Why would I doubt him? Can you ask yourself that question? Why would I doubt him? And I mean, hasn't he proven his love? Hasn't he proven his righteousness? Hasn't he proven his wisdom, his knowledge, his truth? Man, for 2,000 years, the Bible has been complete, and you know it. Don't let society, you know, put the, the smoke and mirrors in front of this and testify something that's wrong. You know that every culture, every people, every family, and every individual for 2,000 years that has embraced the authority of Christ and that has striven to live according to the Word of God has been blessed because it's true. Jesus is the truth. His word is truth. Don't doubt it. you got to make a commitment to being all in. If I asked everyone in here who can say, really, before the eyes of Almighty God, before whom every person is naked and exposed, if I were to say, before the eyes of Almighty God, stand up, if you can say, I am committed to being all in, I'm all in, your knees wobble? Would you white knuckle the back of the pew? Or would you stand and say, come what may, I'm with him? Please, consider what I'm saying. Remember the apostles. Remember Peter. To whom shall we go? There's nowhere else to go. I wanted to Give that little narrative in the beginning because I think some people get the idea if you start reading Matthew, you don't know. Peter, Andrew, James, and John knew who he was. John makes that clear. They'd heard John the baptizer proclaim as, as Messiah. They'd gone with him to the wedding in Cana. They'd seen him turn water to wine. They'd beheld his glory. They knew who he was. It wasn't just a stranger some crazy street person coming up to them and saying, I've got the answers to life, come follow me. It would be foolish to follow someone like that. They knew who he was. But that does not change the fact that they had mouths to feed, bills to pay. They had people dependent upon them, and that's why they were fishing. Are you listening? That's why they were fishing. What a hobby. You think Jesus wanted the children to starve? They knew better. They knew better. 
They knew if he said follow him, that's what they had to do. That whatever it is that they didn't understand about it, he was the one who would take care of that. I can testify to you, having been in vocational ministry for a quarter of a century, there have been many, many times when my wife and I have not known how ends were going to meet. But we've survived to this day. We've been all right. Do not be afraid of serving Jesus. Be afraid not to. And these disciples didn't have to think about it. They didn't say, I got somebody to bury. They didn't say, I got somebody to marry. They didn't say, I got a field to go check out. They didn't say, I bought a team of oxen. They immediately left their nets and they followed Jesus. Brothers and sisters, the master is calling. What will you do? That's the question I leave you with this morning. This morning, if you are not a baptized believer, the answer should be very simple. You realize that you are accountable for your sins and you've not yet accepted the Lordship of Christ. You've not yet become a disciple. Here, Matthew 28, 18 and 20, specifically verses 19 and 20, tells people how to become disciples. You're baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, having been taught the truth of the gospel, and then you begin the life of learning and following Jesus until you are fulfilling everything that he has taught his disciples to do. A lifestyle of obedience that flows out of the baptistry, your sins washed away, united with Christ in covenant relationship. That's how you become a disciple. That's how you immediately leave your nets and follow him. And this morning, if you are a baptized believer that needs the prayers of this church, the front pews are open. We beg you to come. Just together we stand and sing. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. If you have any questions, please email them to us at office at lavernecoc.org. Once again, we thank you for listening, and we hope you have a blessed day.